Amen. Can you all hear me? Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And that's just one page over, probably, in most of your Bibles from where we were. Last week, that's, is that not what we talked about last week, right? The humility of Jesus who came from heaven to earth. He condescended being fully God, the Son of God, divine in all of His glory. And He did not hold fast to His divine prerogatives, but He actually took on a human nature to become one of us. And not just to become human in like a, a regal sense where he came and, and there was like a, a big festival and everybody laid out the red carpet. No, he came born in a feeding trough. And he actually was born in a manger lowly and took on the form of a servant and became obedient all the way to the point of death, even the death on a cross. That's what that song's all about. He came from heaven to earth to die on a cross, humiliated for our reconciliation. And the book of Philippians is actually written to believers so that we might get help in not only understanding what happened to us, but beginning to live out the Christian life and in chapter 1 and verse 27, what does it say? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I am absent or present, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. Not frightened by anything by your opponents. So Paul is after are living out of Christianity in vibrant, real, everyday life ways. And he's holding up the beauty that you have been accepted in Christ. If you are a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, you have been accepted and you've been justified in the sight of God. You have been pardoned of all of your iniquity. You have been forgiven and adopted into his family. And then the apostle calls us to live out the Christian life. And that process is called sanctification. Growing to be more like Jesus as salt and light in this world. And that's what he's after today in our passage. So I just want to kind of set a little roadmap before you as we, we ask God's help. So pray with me now and just ask that the Lord would really minister to us and give us a word where we need it most. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I acknowledge, Lord, I'm, I'm unable to preach the depth and beauty of this text and the importance of it for the Christian life apart from your spirit. It cannot be done just by mere human willing. It has to be energized by your spirit. It has to be made alive in the soul. It has to be coming like logic on fire through your preacher. 
to minister to your people. And I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts to receive the word of God to us from the Apostle Paul, breathed out by the Holy Spirit that blessed Philippi and the whole church of Philippi. And that is meant for our good and edification. And I pray that we would get help today and we would get encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen. So you all know as the Olympics kind of come to a close, we all kind of have a, a sense of wonder and and kind of a little bit of a sense of disappointment because you got two weeks and you see some of the most amazing feats where people have actually been preparing for four years, and in this case, five years, for an event that is the world's best at any particular individual sport, whether it's swimming, whether it's gymnastics, Whatever it might be, they have been training with blood and sweat and tears and broken bones. I mean, some of them I was seeing like, they're coming in with like broken thumbs like the, the four weeks before and they're coming and doing their gymnastics routine, you know, with like a half broken thumb. That's, that's, a, that's a level of intensity and commitment and hard work that's poured into the event of a lifetime. And we look at that and we're like blown away on one level. And we're also spurred on and challenged like, man, that's discipline. That's actually hard work. That's actually a conditioning that we admire and yet we're kind of floored by at the same level. And today, the Apostle Paul is going to actually talk to us about a spiritual kind of workout. He's going to actually talk to you and I about the reality that the Christian life is often spoken of as like a workout, like an intense, sometimes a race, or to press on, or to strive, or there's a sense of just work out your salvation with fear and trembling before the holy God. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. And he talks like that. And he's not saying, here's how you earn your salvation. Because, right, because we're accepted by God, by faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, change is now possible. It's actually possible in your life. So maybe you're in here today and you're like, I don't, I, I feel like frustrated that I'm stagnant in my Christian walk. I don't feel like an Olympian. I don't feel like I've, I've, I've really got that kind of drive. And I just feel like I'm, I'm going through the motions on autopilot. Paul's got a word for you today. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And when you really come to a place where you look in the mirror, you're like, I really don't feel like I'm far along in the Christian walk. And you're discouraged by that. But you've been a Christian for 25, 30 years. Paul wants to help us in that reality to give you hope because he's talking to us 
with profound encouragement. He's just laid out the obedience of Jesus and saying Jesus' humility and his mindset and his work dying on a cross in total obedience, that's the kind of mindset we're to live in. And if you thought it was totally up to you and you had to be the Olympian to get it done, bootstraps and all, then you would be missing this passage as well that we're going to get into. Because it requires hard work, but it is God who works in us. And so the reality of God's powerful, supernatural work to empower us and our hard work and effort is really the conjunction that happens in your day-to-day life as you live as a Christian. And the temptation is to think one of two possible things in error. One is, well, if God works in me, then i got to do nothing. i just kind of let go, let God, and he'll do the rest. No, Paul actually talks different in this passage, and we're going to see it. And then the other temptation is to think, well, it's all up to me, and I'm just going to muscle through the Christian life and be miserable and discouraged and joyless and always living and operating with this low-grade guilt. So I want us to look at this passage and get some help from the Apostle Paul. And I want, I want you to see it. As we, as we read it, you're going to see our work and God's work and the attitude with which we're going to live out the Christian life. And then he's going to put some flesh onto what, what does this actually look like in everyday living, which we'll probably pick up the bulk of that next week. But Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 Therefore, he's building on this argument that we just talked about, Christ's example of humiliation and exaltation, living out an obedient, humble life. He says, therefore, in light of that, my beloved, he's just pastoral and tender, and he says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And what's it look like? Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent Children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's what we're supposed to be, Christianity on display. Holding fast to the word of life, the word of the gospel, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. 
Those are powerful words. I mean, it's kind of odd that Paul would talk because he's so much, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest you boast. And then he says stuff like, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And he commends them for obedience. He's like, as you've already been obeying, continue in it, whether I'm here with you or I'm gone. Actually, much more when I'm gone. He wants to encourage them. You know, it's easy to live the Christian life when I'm here. But oh, the power of God and the glory of Christ's work in you. The reality of it. Verse 12. Much more in my absence, he says. Continue obeying. He's just pastoral in saying, listen, keep up the obedience You're living like salt and light. The Philippian church was filled with the Spirit, had gospel witness, loved the Lord Jesus, loved the Apostle Paul and sent him help and financially supported him. And there was all sorts of evidence, as we've learned, as we've explored this book, of the gospel being lived out. And yet Paul admonishes them and says, continue in that obedience. And we just need a word about that because sometimes we think of obedience and we think, well, that's the opposite of Christianity. But Paul is talking about the obedience of faith. He's talking about the lived out obedience of Christianity that Jesus commissioned his disciples when he said, all authority has been given to me from heaven and earth. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? He says, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Jesus is not anti-obedience. And sometimes in Christian circles, we can obedience is like a dirty word. You better not talk obedience legalist. But if you're trying to earn your salvation, you'll never get there. But if you've been saved, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've been renewed by grace, then you're able to live in new ways because you've got a new heart. You've been justified in the sight of God. You're no longer trying to earn it. You're no longer trying to, to earn those brownie points with God and try to work your way to heaven. No. You're living in grateful obedience and the Spirit of God that indwells you is producing godliness in your soul. And yet, in this very passage, Paul can say in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, it's right there. Work out your own salvation. And and so if we think of salvation as something that is past in, in the Lord justifying us in Christ as we believed, and present as we are being 
conformed into the image of Jesus, which is sanctification. We're growing in Christ. God is presently working out that saving reality in your life. And then one day you will be glorified in heaven. And that's a future state when sin will be wiped away and it will be no more. And you will be glorified and radiant and shining like the sun. Death will be no more. Pain or suffering will be no more. So salvation in Scripture is past, present, and future. And Paul is speaking of the present reality of salvation being worked out in everyday life. The everyday life of believers. And I just think of like going to the gym, you know. When you go to the gym... You're going and you're, you're trying to work your body out. You're trying to wear your body out so that you can get stronger, so that you can be more conditioned, so that you can be more healthy. And in one sense, the, the interesting thing is, in the Christian life, right, salvation is the body. Salvation, you have to have the body when you go into the gym to work out. You've got to be saved in order to work your salvation out. You see that? You've actually got to know Jesus in a saving way in order to become more conformed day by day into the image of Christ, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so in some ways, sanctification is just about taking your faith to the gym. And working it out. And strengthening it. And growing in grace. Which implies that we don't simply sit idly by and hope that we would grow as Christians. We don't leave our Bibles on the nightstand to collect dust and hope we're going to get more knowledge of Scripture just by osmosis. Or that we're going to grow in the Christian life through osmosis. You know, when we come to church on Sundays, like that takes activity on your part. That actually, that, that, that actually means that you're committed to it. And, and, and many of you come and, and, and praise God because that activity, you're blessed as the Spirit of God meets you as you're working out your salvation. You're sitting under the Word and you're getting help from the Lord to strengthen you to live out the Christian life. And that is a glorious, mysterious, profound work of God in the soul. But there is something we do. And it's right there. Work it out. Verse 12. Work it out. So in, in, in one sense, we're like the Olympics. We're like those trainers. We have to pour blood, sweat, and tears into our Christian walk. Vigorously doing activity, striving. Because sometimes it's not natural for us to just wake up, get out of bed, and we're like, I'm going to pray for 30 minutes today. Or I'm going to get into my Bible. Everything's going to militate against that. 
The devil does not want you in the scripture. The devil doesn't want you praying. And there's your own flesh to put to death. Your own sinful nature and, and, and the residual pockets of sin that just kind of are like, eh, Bible's lame. You don't need to read it. You already know it. And yet Paul would say, work out your salvation. Don't be spiritually lazy, but press on. If you read the word, you'll be revived, Psalm 19 says. If you, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It makes wise the simple. How does it do that? Well, it's as we read it. As we read it, we encounter God. And as we read it, we get help and we're strengthened. And the Spirit of God uses it to bring truth. And there's like an aha moment. And perhaps some of you are like, man, I I haven't really thought about this idea that there's effort in the Christian life. Because we've actually thought of sanctification as just letting everything go and just letting God do the rest. And there's some truth to that because God is the one energizing the work. But don't let that be something that keeps you from the hard, diligent labor of actually reading the Scriptures, praying, corporately gathering, going out and doing evangelism in the midst of the community, loving people in hard places, having Bible studies, having opportunities where you're actually seeking to be light in the world around you. And Christ is on display and God gets glory and He's pleased with that activity. And this shows up all over the New Testament. This language, Ephesians 4, we read, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he lists a whole bunch of stuff that we can begin to change. You struggle with anger? Be angry and do not sin. You struggle with coarse language? Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth except which is pleasing in the sight of God and imparts grace to its its hearers. Words of grace coming out of your mouth instead of words of death and divisiveness. And Paul has just been exhorting in Philippians Right? Chapter 2. He's been exhorting them to agree in the Lord and have the same mind. Verse 2 of chapter 2. Have the same mind, the same love, be in full accord with one another. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do you see the putting off and the putting on? It's profound when you think about it because oftentimes we struggle in the Christian life because we're just trying to put off the bad stuff. And we're like, I'm just going to try to not be bad. But you forget to put on the new self created in Christ Jesus. You forget to replace, you know, 
I'm not going to speak lies. I'm not going to speak lies. But you're not speaking life-giving truth into people's lives. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to be lazy. But we're not working. Providing. And so there's a sense in which this wrestling is very biblical and it reorients our thinking about how to grow as a Christian. And you may be like coming in here today, like I don't really know how to grow. Praise God for Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. That we can work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And notice that. Notice that there's an attitude. Notice that there's, there's actually an attitude with which we do this. Because we don't want to be curmudgeons like, oh, I've got to, I've got to like do the Christian life thing and we're upset at God. You're going to make me be holy God and more like Jesus? No, it's for your joy. It is for your joy. The whole book of Philippians is aimed at your joy. And in fact, Paul's going to make an argument and say, this will bring me joy and you're going to rejoice too. That's what verse 17 and, and 18 say in this chapter. But it's fear and trembling. Work with an awe of God. Look at that. That language of fear and trembling, we can actually be confused and start to think, well, I got to start relating to God like he's Pharaoh. And he's up there like a taskmaster with a whip ready to beat you down. And he's just not going to let you have any joy. And he's just going to make you slave over the hard work of the Christian life. And that would be to misread this text because fear and trembling all through the scriptures, when it's applied to believers, is to have a healthy awe of God. It is a reverential awe. It's the sense in which you understand that God is at work in you as you work out, as you grow in holiness as you become more like Jesus. God's at work in you. Think about how profound that is. He made the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows you're sitting down and you're rising. And he's at work in you. If you are a believer, this sovereign God and Lord of the universe is at work in you. And so it's like producing this Fear and trembling and a sense of which I'm motivated and I'm helped because I have a healthy awe of God to grow in godliness. And sometimes we balk at that, but one of the most definite signs of maturity all through the Old Testament was he feared the Lord. He is a man who feared the Lord. She is a woman who feared the Lord. That is motivating to understand who we live for, who we are offering up our service to, who the glory is for. And you will find joy comes in at that very point, because when you are most satisfied in God, it's been said. He is most glorified in you. When you are most satisfied in God, He is glorified in you. 
And when you are living out the Christian life, verse 13 reminds us it is for his good pleasure. It is for his good pleasure. So we're not pulling that out of thin air. It's right there in the text. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And have a healthy sense of the awe of God. Romans 8 says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. This is the kind of taskmaster, Pharaoh-like fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And so the awe of God is something that comes to the children of God. The world isn't in awe of God at all. They are bored of God. In fact, sin is described at, in Scripture as failing to give God the glory He is due. Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of what? Of the glory of God. Interesting, at that very point, when we lose our awe of God, we begin to have awe of something else. And we exchange. That's what idolatry is. But to live the Christian life is to have awe of God at the center. At the blazing center of Christian living 101. And all Christian worship is filled with awe. When we come and we gather together as the church, like we're in awe of God. When we sing these songs, there's a reason joy wells up in your soul. If you sing it and you mean it and you glory in it and you rejoice over it, awe fills the church. What happened in the book of Acts when the church would begin to pray and worship the Lord and seek his face? Awe would fall on the church and then they would go out with boldness. It's a powerful thing and it's a testimony. I'm reminded of my wife's testimony the first time she really experienced a sense of the awe and majesty of God was when she walked into she was raised Catholic and she walked into a Protestant Christian church for the first time looking for answers did not believe in God and then began to see the people of God worshiping with a sense of awe with a sense of the majestic glory. Like they're actually worshiping like people believe that he's real. They're worshiping God as he is. And she was drawn to that. She was drawn into that. So you're doing some evangelistic work when you praise the glory of God and you bear witness, and then the Gentiles or those who don't know Jesus come and they say, surely God is among them. That happened in the book of Acts. When people would worship God with that awe. So please know that this idea of working out our salvation in, the t in terms of sanctification, growing to be more like Jesus, to get that Jesus mindset and that Jesus sort of living out Christianity, being conformed to the image of Jesus. It's done with the awe of God. 
And the last thing we see in this passage is that we're to work out by God's power working in you. And you might have been wondering, like, you've got a lot of talk going on about this you doing stuff. Now we get to God's power at work in you. We get to this reality that God is sovereignly working in these things. He is supernaturally and sovereignly empowering his people. Look at verse 13. For the grounds of all this spiritual activity and growth and godliness, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So far from saying just kind of bootstrap it, it's God working in you. It's the Holy Spirit empowering, energizing, strengthening that activity. God at work in us. And sometimes I think of, you know, a little energizer bunny, right? And you're just like going, 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 and, and you pop that Duracell battery on and he just keeps going. And some of us, want to, we want to live the, the Christian life like that. We're like, we're going to pop the cell battery in. But know that the, the power comes from God. The power is like an eternal power source, an unending power source. But we're actually called to pray and to ask that we would be filled with the Spirit and continue to be filled with the Spirit. So a prayer that might be something good to pray as you're seeking to do things unto the Lord and grow in holiness is, Lord, empower that work. Lord, empower me today as I go share the gospel. Lord, empower me today as I have a phone call with a dear friend who needs a word of encouragement. Or, or as I'm praying for others to get well who are sick. The Lord will empower your activity. It is God who works in us at the level of the willing and doing. How else could we possibly live and follow the example of Jesus apart from the power of God at work in us? How else could you do anything that God has called you to do apart from the power of God at work in you? It would be a flat, anemic thing for somebody to preach the gospel all in their own strength, relying on their intellectual ability alone. It's a spiritual work. And no one can get changed in the preaching of the word if the spirit is not on it. If it's a hollow presentation. Or in that encouraging word. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, I was reading this week in the book of Acts, Paul was confronted with a Jewish magician who was trying to like thwart people from actually believing the gospel. And he looked at him, filled with the Holy Spirit, rebuked him, and said, blindness has come on you because you're filled with all wickedness and cutting. You're a child of the devil. And the man was struck blind. And he did not, Paul, the Apostle Paul did not think to do gospel ministry apart from God's power. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. For it is God who works in us. And this is profound. 
He works in you at the level of the willing and the working. Think about that. He works in us at the level of the willing and doing. We're getting into some of the mysterious sort of God's activity and our activity. How does that fit together? I remember one of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, was asked, how do you reconcile the sovereignty of God working and human responsibility at the same time? How do you put those things together? How do you reconcile them? They seem to be at odds. And he said, well, I, I never reconcile friends. They go together. They're in Scripture. They're right in this passage. You work it out. You know, for it's God who is at work in you. The willing and doing of your good pleasure. Isn't that awesome? Like, you're not alone in the Christian life. You're not alone if you're desiring to grow in godliness. God will be at work in you to the level of the will, which is desires. God, can God put godly desires in your, your brain, your mind? Absolutely. Where do you think they come from? Like all the good desires, all the, the, the resolves for godliness that are in your heart. Sometimes when you come in on Sunday and you hear a word or, or Wednesday and you hear a word and you're like, oh, I, I need that. I want to grow in that. I want to get better in that. Those are godly resolves. The spirit of God might convict you in all sorts of ways. And you're like, oh, I want to work on that. Know that God is at work in you. And be encouraged as you step out and actually seek to do it. Because sometimes we stop and we think, let go and let God, and then nothing happens and we're super discouraged. Or we do the opposite. We're like, oh, I'm just going to muscle it up on my own, try to get it done. But we forgot. God is the one who empowers. God is the one who energizes. God is the one who is the source the electric source of God's spirit at work in his people. And it's a dynamic reality. And it's another thing that's just testified to all through the New Testament. What does Paul say in Ephesians 2? He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one would boast. So we don't work to get saved. But then... In the very next verse, after he's just said we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, it says, verse 10, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What? God prepared the works ahead of time so that you might walk in them. That's our God. He's already prepared the works. Beloved, walk in them. Live them out by the Holy Spirit. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God and in the power of His Spirit at work in us. To the level of the willing and the doing, verse 13 says. That is profound. And you're like, well, it's only there. Well, he says other things. It's all over the place. There's hundreds of verses like this in the scripture. But uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, speaking about being an apostle, has this to say. 
about himself. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it is his, it, it is his grace in me that was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I am what I am by the grace of God, but I worked harder than any of them. Do you see it? It's the grace of God at work in us. It's that mysterious, profound reality of God's work in his people as you become salt and light in this world. And it worked in the Apostle Paul. He's commending it to the Philippians and he's commending, and the Lord is commending it to you and I to work out your salvation, to work, exert. But no, God is working in you the willing and doing. And then verse 13. This is the thing that if you're just wanting, like, I want encouragement. I want, I, I want a sense at which what's, what's the, the payoff here? What's going on here? How can I be motivated even more? Well, the end of verse 13 says, he works in us both to will and to do, or to will and to work for what? For his good pleasure. So God is causing you, brothers and sisters, to grow in spiritual maturity for his good pleasure. God is actually working in you to glorify his own name. And it pleases God. And, 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 and parents know and have a sense at which there is something beautiful and pleasing when your children actually listen and actually obey and actually regard and respect and have regard for your authority and walk in the healthy boundaries you have set, it's pleasing. It's like an aroma that you're like, praise God. <laughs> you know, like the Lord is pleased when we live in these ways. It is well pleasing to the Lord. And he's working in us to bring about the very pleasure in his own being. God is zealous for his glory. And as you live the Christian life full of the Holy Spirit and live in these ways, it's a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And next week, we're going to talk all about how this gets fleshed out. Because you might be like, I, I need some practical stuff. And we're going to just touch on it in verse 14 and following because he puts flesh on it. Paul does not leave us. He's a, he's a good teacher. He doesn't leave us without a little flesh. Because sometimes we can think, oh, this is a little esoteric. I need a little bit of practical stuff going on there. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. 
So we're going to be filled with gratitude, not grumbling. We're going to be filled with life-giving, harmonious sort of relationships with one another. And the grumbling and, and the complaining that was so characteristic of Israel in the wilderness. And that's where Paul is drawing this imagery from. He's like, Israel grumbled and they did not trust the Lord. And they were divisive. Not so, you Philippians. Not so, Smithfield. You live as children, walking blameless. He's not talking about like perfection. He's talking about living a life that does not bring reproach to Jesus. When people look at you, do they see salt and light? When people look at you, do they see godliness? Not perfection. But do they see something that draws them to Jesus? And that's profound. Because he's saying right here, you live in a crooked and twisted generation. Now that word is drawn from uh, the Old Testament as well. And it was spoken of Israel who rejected God on some levels, his promises, and grumbled. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and all of them perished but Caleb and Joshua. And they were called a crooked and perverse generation. And that's being applied to the city of Philippi. And it is just as applicable to the world around us that we live in. And this is the very culture that God calls us to do what? In verses 14 and 15. Actually, 15, it says, Be, be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you do what? You shine as lights in the world. You're shining. Now, now, the word there has to do with stars. It's luminaries. It's the things that light up the sky, right? And, and the light gives light for other people to see. The light of the sun and the light of the stars gives light so you can see other things more clearly. That is what we are supposed to be. We are supposed to live in such a way that people would see in the midst of the church, a clear picture of Jesus and a proclamation of the message that you can be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. And perhaps there may be some in here who need that news. And as Smithfield is salt and light, we radiate that light into the world around us. And if you don't know Jesus... And you want to get right today. You realize that there's something real to this God thing. There's actually something real. That Jesus is beautiful. You're recognizing today that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he came from heaven to earth to die on a cross so that he could give life to the world. And you're sensing in your soul that you're not right with God. And that you need rescue. The Bible says... That if you repent of your sins and believe on Jesus and trust that he died so that you could be forgiven and accepted by God. And if you really turn away from a life of sin, a life of living crooked, a life of living defiled, and you know deep down maybe you're not clean before God, turn to him, trust him, believe on the son so that you would see the light. 
And then He transforms your heart. And then you begin to become light. Walking. That's just imagery for getting a new heart, having new eyes, beginning to live in new ways because God gives us new hearts to live out this kind of new obedience in a new community that says Jesus is the Lord of all. And He changed history and He can change you. And He can strengthen the souls of His people with this word to remind them, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, the willing and doing of his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message. And we need it so desperately. We can't do anything ultimately and finally in our own strength. We need the strength of God. And Father, I just pray as there are some... Um, in here who came in discouraged, Lord, that they would be getting help, that they would be getting encouragement from this message, that it would not just be another message of, of do better, do more better, but that you change the heart and you give the strength and you supply all of the energy to strengthen your people to live as salt and light in this world. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to know that not only change is possible, but we can live lives that put Jesus on display like radiant stars shining like the sun in a dark world. And we do pray that you would minister to our souls and that you would encourage us and that the, the word of God would advance and the gospel would advance in Smithfield and in Henry County and in Louisville and beyond to the praise and glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be down.